Good day and welcome to the Mercy Hill Podcast. My name is Lawson Harlow. I'm the pastor of Mercy Hill Church. What you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached during our weekly worship services in Olive Branch, Mississippi. We hope that you will be encouraged by the preaching of God's Word as you aim to follow Jesus and make disciples. For more information about Mercy Hill Church, you can visit mercyhillob.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mercyhillchurchob. Thanks for listening. have your Bibles, John chapter 18 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to continue really right where Pastor Blake left off as he encouraged us to, as we read through this narrative, this seeing of the destined day arise where Christ has indeed come. He has completed his uh, teaching ministry as it were. And what we are about to examine just briefly is a moment where Jesus will be challenged to either recant all that he has taught or prove to be faithful. But at the exact same time, we will examine one of his disciples, namely Peter, who will be given the same opportunity to prove himself faithful. And what we will see in the text is that he is found wanting. Now, this is perhaps, I'll never forget reading this the first time through and considering never Peter. I mean, perhaps one of the disciples, but certainly not Peter. It can't be Peter. And we'll look at how Peter has fallen here, and then we'll look to the faithful Christ who is able to bring him back into right relationship with him. But before we do that, just as a means of introduction, as we look at this passage, there are a couple of things that really stand out to me. The one thing that really hits hard is this concept of a rooster crowing. Now, I know that may not seem uh, that, that dramatic, but friends, for the person of Peter, this rooster crowing was one of the most impactful moments of his life. I would actually say that it is the single or second most gracious moment that God has given to him throughout the entirety of his life. And this morning, what I'd like to consider is first the kindness of God. And so if you would, just kind of form with me the idea of perhaps a difficult circumstance or situation in your life that really did end up being one of the most gracious things that God has ever done for you. Perhaps we call these things breaking points or something of that nature, but perhaps it's that moment where you think that you really can't do it yourself, and then you realize rather rapidly that you're in desperate need of someone. You're in desperate need of someone or something to come in and do an alien work within you. You need the Lord to work. Friends, Peter's reminded of this in this passage, and my prayer is that this morning we too would be reminded of that, that we are ever constantly in need of the Lord's work in our life to keep us. We sing often. Of, uh, to remind ourselves that God keeps those whom Christ has purchased. We did a whole exposition in John 17 of considering the fact that he keeps all those whom he has purchased. This morning I would like to do somewhat of, a, of an exposition of a time where that occurred. And so if you would, uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. This is John chapter 18. We'll work our way verses, uh, through verse 15, starting in verse 15 through verse 27. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, that what you have before you is the infallible word of God, truth with no mixture of error. Indeed, it is the only, only final authority for the Christian faith. And it says this, starting in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servant and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. 
Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have, also, I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Let's pray together. Father, we come to this passage seeing our need. Lord, if Peter cannot be found faithful, how can we? So, Father, I ask you to help us this morning to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the only means of our faithfulness. Lord, we boast boldly that we would never deny him. But, Lord, in the midst of turmoil, oftentimes we see that blow away with the wind. So, Father, help us to look to Jesus. Help us to look at him rightly, that we can be all the more faithful, that our believing and that our living will match. It is in the name of Christ and through his blood we pray. Amen. You may be seated. To give you the sermon in a sentence this morning, it's rather simple, but the sermon in a sentence is this. Christ's kindness brings us to repentance and his cross carries all our sins away. So Christ or God's kindness brings us to repentance and his cross, and his cross carries all our sins away. There's a couple ways I want to look at this passage. I want to push the narrative forward because we really are leaning into this atonement account where Jesus will make satisfaction for sin that really the entirety of the Christian faith is rooted in these couple of days. And when we look at this, there are a couple things that I want us to examine here. First, I really do need us to understand Peter's situation. I want us to look to Christ, but I think to do that rightly, we need to understand Peter's situation. We need to understand first who he is, and then secondly, how all of this is unfolding and what it will ultimately lead to. And so just to kind of give you the direction we're going, I want to focus on three major threads through this narrative. First, we will look at Peter's denials of Christ. Then we will look at the steadfastness of Christ. And lastly, we will look at the grace of the Lord Jesus. So let's just look at the person of Peter really quickly. So John chapter 18, 15 through 18 is where I want to really dive in. But to just kind of give a little bit of a background here, let's just talk about the person of Peter real quickly. If there's anyone in Jesus' party that you would assume would never deny Christ, who would it be? I think almost immediately we would have to say Peter or perhaps John. But when we look at Peter, we, can, we, we immediately think of his zeal. He is always the first one to answer Jesus' question. As a matter of fact, if you read through the, the gospel narratives, you see Peter make this good profession that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of God. And this profession is one that Jesus even looks at him and says, this is not revealed to you, this is revealed from heaven. You know this because it's been revealed to you by my Father. And then he even goes on that this profession, this moment of saying Jesus is indeed the Christ, the son of the living God, and Peter saying, where else can we go? That Jesus would then look at him and say, it's this profession, this is the reality on which I will build my church. It's not Peter who's doing it, it's the profession. So the, the profession that Peter is making here is so significant that Peter says this is the foundation of the church, the proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
This is the person we're looking into. This is the same individual who amidst a great deal of fear and trembling, all the other disciples cowering in the boats, Jesus calls out to him and says, come to me, Peter. And Peter, bold as he was, would take a step out of the boat and begin to walk toward his Lord. This is the man that we are examining. This is the man who in Matthew 26, 35 says this to his Lord. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. This is the man that just uh, literally last week we looked at as he's standing with Jesus. And there are somewhere around 600 men in front of him. Thinking, knowing for certainty that should this battle break out, he would certainly be killed. But instead you see him pull his sword in defense of Christ to cut off the ear of this man. To defend his Lord. How is it that we find ourselves reading a passage where he begins to deny the Lord whom he has spoken all of these things. He's heard all of these promises of God. You even see him just moments earlier. And friends, this is moments earlier. We look at this and we can often, we can often disconnect them from the time. We think it a couple of days or a couple of hours have passed. Friends, Jesus was just taken. Peter is following Jesus. And as he gets there, his boldness melts. What happens? What happens to Peter? How is it that his boldness melts away at the high priest's courtyard? I mean, just look at the passage here. Starting in verse 15, it says this. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. So just a brief uh, a point of, of context here. The another disciple, there's a great deal of kind of debate around this, but I'm rather convinced this is the, uh, this is the, uh, the apostle John. That John is going with him, and as he's going with him, he walks into the high priest's courtyard. And as he enters, Peter stood outside at the door. He refuses to come in, so that same disciple that he came with says, So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So I want you to understand that what's occurring here is that Peter and another disciple, even if it's not the disciple of John, even if it's another uh, person who had been following Christ, Peter is being brought into the high priest's courtyard by this other disciple. And as he's entering in, this servant girl, let me just clarify this for you. This is essentially the lowest place you can be in class. This servant girl possessed no power. There's no mean for her to really execute any major form of punishment against Peter because of his profession that he is indeed a disciple of Christ. And yet he cowers. And not only does he cower, he cowers in front of another disciple. Because what we often miss here is that this disciple went back and took Peter to bring him in. And as he is being brought in, the servant girl questions him. Now, can you imagine, perhaps it is that this is the apostle John. John hears Peter's denial. Can you imagine the weight that that would burden John with to see his brother deny his Lord? And we see John or this other disciple being rather faithful. He's going, he's going to see and to follow his Lord in a very unique way. He says, it matters not where he goes, I go with him. And then you see Peter begin to melt away. So the question does have to be asked, why is Peter's boldness melting? Why is it that this bold man who just moments ago took a sword and cut off a man's ear is now melting in fear in front of a servant girl? And friends, this is a simple solution that we really will deal with next week. But just to kind of give you some, some introduction to it. The primary reason that Peter's fear, that he becomes so, uh, so fearful is because Peter has always had a misunderstanding of the kingdom of God. He's about to have a great correction. 
He's about to have a total shift in understanding on what it means to be a member of the kingdom of God. But currently, he is still at, at, at a total misunderstanding of what it means. Listen at Matthew 16, 22 through 23. This is a passage that I would imagine all of us are rather familiar with. But it says this. This is Jesus as he's making reference to the fact that he will go and die. And he says to Peter, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter, taking the Lord Jesus aside to rebuke him, just place that in context, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He looks at the Lord Jesus and he says, death is not for you. And then Jesus responds and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He reminds him time and time again. And friends, can I just tell you, I think that Peter would have delighted to die in battle with Christ. I think he would have delighted to fight this glorious revolution against the nation of Rome. He would have been glad to go to war with him. But the idea of living and being executed is something that was somewhat unpalatable to him. He did not understand the kingdom because he was still convinced of a pharisaical Messiah. And he will have his mind corrected. And he does so really in the next passage where Jesus will clarify. He even says to them in verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. He's saying, Peter did get this wrong, but by God's grace, he will not remain there. He has a misunderstanding, but what you see occurring as we push forward, and especially as we get to Peter's epistles, we see that he knows the kingdom is not here below, but it's something that is of God. It's not one with a sword. It is one with the gospel. And as we look forward into Peter's life, I'm convinced that this is the moment. This is what actually causes it to melt away because he's seeing his king. He's seeing the one who he thinks will bring about this glorious earthly revolution ensnared. And all of a sudden it melts away. The idea of being persecuted, the idea of being even executed for this king is somewhat foreign to him. He misunderstands the kingdom, but Christ will indeed correct him. Now, what's so tragic is that gives birth to something. And friends, may I just say this rather quickly? Bad theology always leads to bad doxology. It's just a period. When we misunderstand the theology behind something, we either believe it and do it blindly, which means you don't really place much stock in it at all, or you have a misunderstanding and you are so convinced of it that it leads to, to theological malpractice. And that's what I am convinced that we see here in Peter. He doesn't grasp this glorious kingdom, that it is from above, that it is something different, but Christ would correct him. And what does that lead itself to then? It leads Peter to deny his Lord. Look at verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Doesn't your stomach just sink to hear Peter deny his Lord? But do you know what I think is far worse? Because when we look at this, once again, oftentimes we divorce the context because what's occurring, what's in view of Peter here is Jesus has just been brought into the temple, the courtyard, to be interrogated, as it were, by both Annas and, uh, and Caiaphas. He is about to go undergo questioning. 
And Peter, as he enters the gate, instead of going and hearing the line of questioning that will come from the high priest to Christ, he instead leans over. If you look at verse 18, it says this, Now the servant and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. So let's just take a brief moment there. So what you have in Christ is he is being brought before the high priest to be questioned in the cold. That you have Peter has his Lord out in the cold being questioned all the while Peter says, well, I'm going to go warm myself by the fire. That he looks and just says, look at verse, um, look at continuing on in verse 18, it says, Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Friends, I want you to see the, the, the depth of this. Because to understand this rightly, I think we, we really have to grasp what Peter's doing. Peter is committing treason. Treason. He is looking at his Lord from a distance as he is cold, as he is being questioned. And Peter is by the fire warming himself with those who captured Christ. He stands there warm. He stands there certainly being able to enjoy the light of the fire as his Lord is being interrogated. And not only interrogated, but struck. Just notice what it goes on to say. You see this, this, this denial of him. And I think should we go just a bit further, we can look at passages like, 20, like verse 25 and 26 and see that something has occurred in Peter's that is incredibly dramatic. Look at verse 26, 25 through 27. I'll just read that whole little section. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not too. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. So this man knows that this has occurred. He says, did I not see you in the garden with him? He is an eyewitness. Let's just understand the level of foolishness or the level of uh, uh, perhaps even callousness you have to have to lie to someone you saw earlier in the garden when you were standing with Christ. That's the extent to which Peter has gone, that there is a hardness of his heart that he has brought on. And he is looking at one who he saw in the garden and saying, nope, not his disciple. I have no identification with him. Now, let's just place this in the appropriate context because what's occurring is simultaneously as Peter is warming himself by the fire, Jesus is being questioned. So let's just consider what Peter is seeing as he is denying his Lord. So let's look at verse 19 through 24. In verse 19, it says this, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. So as his disciples are being questioned about him, he is being questioned about his disciples. And in verse 20, it says, Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus responds, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? So let's consider what Peter is observing. Peter is observing first and foremost, his Lord proved to be perfectly faithful. If there was ever a moment for Christ to recant, it's here. If there was ever a moment for him to sway, for him to perhaps make his teaching a bit more palatable, it's right here. And Jesus goes to the extent of saying, there's no need to recant. Go speak to those who I taught. Laughably, you have Peter warming himself by the fire. Go speak to those. Understand, they know what I've taught. Go talk to them. They will confess to you. They will tell you of all of the things that I have taught. There is no means of recanting. So Peter is watching his Lord be perfectly faithful all the while. He is demonstrating nothing but faithlessness. 
he is demonstrating his own frailty. And you can just imagine the heart of Peter as he's sitting and warming himself by the fire and he watches this soldier strike his Lord across the face at his good profession. When he professes, no, I've taught everything the Lord taught me, told me to say. I've been perfectly faithful. You just go talk to them, and they'll tell you what was said. And Peter, as he's warming himself by the fire, sees the fruit of Christ's faithfulness, a strike across the face. I am convinced largely this is what Zechariah prophesied. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. It is almost as though this is the moment where the sheep begin to scatter. And here we see Peter still warming himself by the fire. But you know what else Peter hears in this? Peter also hears that Annas has no charge to bring against Christ. None. As a matter of fact, you see Jesus say in verse 23, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And Annas has nothing. He has nothing to say to him. Friends, if Jesus is tried by the Jewish law, he is acquitted. No, 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 forgive me. He is not acquitted. He is counted as righteous every single time. The law has done what it is always intended to do. It has identified its Messiah. It has done so and done so perfectly. When Peter is standing, warming himself by the fire, all the while Jesus is being interrogated, struck, and frankly being proved to be the Messiah by this line of questioning. And Peter is still cowering. Now, all of this he's perceiving, he's watching it unfold. Jesus faithful, me faithless. The whole concept here. Can you imagine the depth the depth of callousness that had rooted itself in the heart of Peter. Friends, I am convinced that if the rooster never crowed, Peter could have denied his Lord a hundred more times. He could have pressed on. He could have continued on in denial, friends. The only reason this moment, this rooster crowing was so dramatic is because Christ had already told him that it was going to occur. We've read through, we've hit it time and time again as we walk through the upper room discourse, this, this teaching that Jesus gives to his people. And he tells them over and over again, I say this so that when the time comes, you will know that I am he. And friends, this is the loudest moment in Peter's life. This rooster that crows is this moment that jolts him back to life. It is almost as though he had hardened his heart to such a degree that there is only one thing that could break through. And friends, may I be honest, it's not the rooster crowing. The rooster crowing is simply a proclamation of what is true and what is real. So let's just consider what the rooster crowing actually did in Peter. Because not only do we know the rooster crows in, in John 18, 27, but we also know that in Luke 22, immediately after the rooster crows, the Lord Jesus turns and looks at Peter. Let's consider this. In the midst of all my faithlessness, in the midst of you being found to be the perfect and true high priest, which we'll deal with next week, you look at me. The Lord looks at him. The one whom he has committed treason against is looking at him saying, I've told you all these things. I've told you these things that you may know that I am he. And it is at this rooster crowing that we are first, Peter is first reminded of Christ's authority. It is, he, he is all of a sudden jolted back to life. He is reminded that Christ spoke these words to him, that you say you'll die for me. He looks at Peter and says, the rooster will crow three times before, the rooster will not crow before you deny me three times. And immediately at that rooster crowing, he is reminded of the omniscience of his Lord. He is reminded that he has indeed ordered all things. He is reminded of Christ's authority, but it is in this reminder that he is jolted out of willful denial of Christ. Friends, this is the same man that you find racing with John to the tomb. 
This is the same man that we will see in church history be crucified upside down, for he did not consider himself worthy to be crucified right side up. This man, this moment, is more than a rooster crowing. It is God communicating to him that there is grace to be had. And friends, what we must understand is these moments of a rooster crowing, these perhaps, as it were, moments in your own life where you are struck and you are struck hard, they reek of grace. They are born of grace. It is in his kindness that he executes these things on our behalf that we might be jolted back to life. It is in his kindness that this rooster crows. But, friends, that does not mean that it does not birth deep sorrow. In the account that Luke gives, he says, and he went, he says that Peter went away and wept bitterly. Friends, his weeping in and of itself is a reminder that he is Christ. Pagans do not weep over their treason of Christ. Those who are his do. Those who are his that rebel, that find themselves in sin, but then by God's grace corrected, perhaps will weep bitterly over their sin. But it does not end there. And so I would like to just take a brief moment to examine the grace of Christ to Peter. We certainly see it in the rooster crowing. We certainly see it in his looking at him. Instead of shunning him altogether, which, by the way, is the rightful response, to be real honest, what we should see then is if it be treason, that Peter should be executed for his treason. And Peter will be executed for his treason. But Peter will not endure that. First, let's just consider some of the things that Peter's already been promised. Just really in this brief account that we have leading up to the crucifixion, we have Jesus already pronouncing Peter clean. And not only that he is clean, but that Peter has a share of him. So John 13, 8 says this, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. This is the conversation he's having with Peter. Peter says, No, Lord, not you. You can't wash my feet. And then Jesus says to him, If I do not wash you, you have no share of me. And then Peter responds, Well, Lord, all over. Wash my head. Wash every part of me. I want to have all the share of you. Jesus said to him, again in John, in John 13, 8, the latter half, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. We know which one he's speaking of there. He is not speaking of Peter. He is speaking of Judas. This has already been clearly identified. Jesus has pronounced Peter clean. He has pronounced Peter not only clean, but he has pronounced that he has a share with him. Now, what is most tragic about this is that in, in Peter's denial of Christ, he is saying, don't identify me with him. But here we see Christ say, no, 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 you'll be identified with me. It goes on. Jesus has already told Peter that he will follow him afterwards. John 13, 36, this is right after Peter says, Lord, I'll die. That means I can go with you. And in John 13, 36, he says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me afterward. He has already told Peter, you are, have a share of me. You are clean. You will indeed follow me afterward. Where will he follow him? He will follow him into paradise to enjoy him forever. But not only that, we see that Jesus has promised him the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 16, and 17, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These are the promises that Peter has been given by Christ. But the last one is in John 17, 11. We just walked through this, this high priestly prayer. When Jesus makes this request, and we spent a decent amount of time on this verse, but it simply says this, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. 
The Lord Jesus prayed for Peter to be kept. Friends, would you like to know why we are kept? Because the Lord has prayed that we might be kept. The reason we can sing songs like he will hold me fast, the reason that we can celebrate that our, that our salvation is secure is not because our grip is so strong. It is because his grip is so sure. It is because his fingers never fail. His keeping will never fail nor falter. He has brought you into himself. And even amidst our deepest faithlessness, he is faithful. But let's clarify this just to be clear. This does not mean that you get to press on in a licentious life. His keeping is not so weak that it does not change you nor keep you here. It is not the concept that you can live however you wish here below, that you can deny him as Peter denies him without repentance. No, not even in the slightest. It is instead that his keeping produces something in you. It is that ever-constant grace of the rooster crowing that brings us to repentance. That is the mark of grace that ever-constantly comes in our life that we might be kept and that in our keeping, he might be made much of. But that's not all that we have to understand about this. Certainly all these things are true. We know that Jesus has, that Jesus has told Peter, you are clean, you are, have a share in me, that you will come with me, that you will have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you, and that you will be kept from the evil one. But friends, the last thing that we know, and perhaps this is going a bit outside of our text this morning, but I think we do well to do so, is that Jesus will bleed for Peter's denial. If you just consider this, you watch this unfold, Jesus in perfect faithfulness adheres, honors the teaching that the Father has given him and does so without a single moment of wavering. And Jesus stands being questioned while Peter is cowering before a maidservant. Jesus is being found faithful before the high priest. As he will be interrogated by Pilate, you will see him be faithful there. Friends, you will never see a moment in all of redemptive history where you see Christ be anything but perfectly faithful. Now, the reason this is so important is because when we examine this on a practical level, we always speak of the gospel in this broad sense that Jesus will pay for our sin in full, and at the exact same time, he will give us his righteousness. But can we just maybe apply that to this particular circumstance? Jesus will most certainly bleed for Peter's denial, that when he says, I am not with him, Jesus atoned for that sin. So first, let's just examine this. Do you have anything more, any sin so great that is greater than high treason against the, the king that you follow? And the answer to that, friends, is no. Peter looks in open rebellion and says, I'm not with him. He says, I don't want anything to do with him. I don't want the consequences of being him. I don't want to be identified with him. Not once, not twice, but three times he does this. What sin do you have to bring that is so great that Christ cannot conquer? What sin do you have that is so great that he cannot drink it to the dregs, that there will be no wrath left for you? Is there anything that you have? Is there any sin perhaps you ponder? You think there's no way the Lord can forgive me for this. Friends, Jesus bled for Peter's treason. There's no sin so great in your own life that his blood cannot conquer. None, not one. Put it to rest, put it to bed. Because we understand that it is not the sweeping of God's justice away. It is instead that Jesus is the satisfaction for God's justice. Jesus bore Peter's sword. He took it that Peter might never taste this death. Because friends, Peter would be crucified. And he would be crucified upside down. He did not have a single taste of the cup of God's wrath that, God, that Christ drank on the cross. Jesus bled for him. But not only 
Do we understand that the gospel reminds us that he pays our debt, but we also are reminded that we are credited Christ's righteousness. Now here's what's most humorous about this. As Peter is denying Christ by the fire, Jesus is being faithful in the courtyard to the high priest. When God looks at Peter through the gospel of Christ, he sees Jesus' good confession, not his faithless denial of our Lord. This is a practical, perhaps, application of redemption. But friends, should there be any sin in you that you think is unconquerable, that God will always see it, you have a faulty understanding of the cross. The cross says it's done with, and now what God sees because you are in Christ is not your failings, but his beauties, but his glories, but his splendors. They're all seen in you because Christ has clothed you with this perfect righteousness. Friends, Peter failed. He failed. But he will stand before, the God, before God on the day of judgment faultless. Not because he's so great, because the gospel is so sure and steady. Friends, we would do well to be reminded of this. We would do well to, as we look at this story, and we are so tempted to look at the failings of every biblical character that we come across. It's so easy to look at Abraham and think, you fool. Why would you lie to this man and betray your God? We can run this through perhaps David even. You see David's infidelity. Do you know what David stands before the God of omniscience and the righteous judge with? Not his failings nor his faults, because Christ drank that cup. He sees the perfect faithfulness of Christ. Friends, we would do well to remember that as we look at these men, as we look at those who fail and falter, that what those men who look to Jesus in faith have is a perfect gospel that saves to the uttermost, that it will change, that it does keep and it keeps based on divine justice. That what we have in Peter is one who is flawed just as we are. But what we have in Christ is one who is perfect in every way. Let's pray together. Father, we come rejoicing in the fact that all of our faults and failures, Lord, as Peter's denial of you would be clothed with your faithfulness. That it would be conquered by the gospel. That the sword that was due him for treason would be sheathed in Christ's side. And Lord, then you would clothe him with a cloak of righteousness. Lord, remind us, Lord, for oftentimes the accuser of the brethren is loud in our ear. We are reminded of our sin. We think there's no way it could be glossed over. Friend, Lord, help us. Help us to know that it, no sin has ever been glossed over. That Christ has conquered it. Lord, that as Jesus looks up at Peter, Lord, that he looks up at him in his own grace. And Lord, may it be with us that when we see our denial, when we see our sin, Lord, remind us of the splendor of Christ. Remind us that our sin is conquered, but Lord, more than that, that we stand righteous before you based upon Christ's finished work. We ask these things in the name of Christ, and it is in his blood and through his name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we ask you to do what we always do. We simply ask you to respond. We believe that the word of a God always accomplishes a purpose and that it never returns void. And so we simply ask you to respond. Perhaps that is to stand and sing loudly the praises of Christ. I don't think there's ever been a better response song than this one, by the way. Um, and, uh, or perhaps it is that you'd like to talk to your pastor. I'll be at the back. would love to talk to you about whatever the Lord's doing. Let's stand with